Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're going to be hosting the .NET Developer Days Conference in Warsaw, Poland, October 23rd through the 25th. Developer Days is one of the largest events in Central and Eastern Europe dedicated to application development on the .NET platform. And we'll be recording a number of shows from the conference and hanging out with you. So go to developerdays.pl and get your tickets now. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, back in the studio today, Elias Purunin is going to be here in a bit. But before we talk to him, I just want to check in with my buddy, Richard Campbell. How you doing, man? Uh, you know, no rest for the wicked, dude. I'm pushing hard to try and get the book finished. And uh, we're in the block of pretty heavy-duty travel mm -hmm. at this particular moment, which is why we recorded all our October shows in September, because I'm pretty much on the road for all of it. Yeah. You and I will be together in Poland for uh, Developer Days uh, Poland. And our friend Mr. Guthrie is going to be there. That's, that's right. Fun, fun, fun. But I promised uh, She Who Must Be Obeyed and, and others that I am spending the winter finishing the history of .NET. I'm not going to travel. I'm going to go up to the coast and be all alone. You say right that every now. day. <laughs> You're going to be like, oh, maybe I'll take a little time and smoke some ribs. Yeah, well, you know, did that this summertime. The smokers all cleaned up and put away now. But I, uh, mm. I've, I've gotten to a place where I can consistently write 3,000 words a day that I'm proud of. Good. And so that's enough that with a good push for six weeks or so, I should get this thing, get the first draft in the camp. Not done. Done is crazy. Draft finished. Good, good. I've been, uh, as you know, um, like I said last week, working on um, a, a Blazor version of our back office app. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's coming along really well. It's this. We recorded this on the same day as the show with Jeremy Miller last week. So... Let's roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework, emphasis on the crazy. All right, dude, what do you got? You know, every once in a while, I, I come across a blog post or a tweet or something where somebody's just a ranting lunatic. Okay. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to let you come to the decision about this blog post, whether you think this person is uh, uh, a raving lunatic, but he's, I don't agree with what he says, but um, what he, his disclaimer is great. And this is uh, a blog post called Why C-Sharp Coders Should Shut Up About Delphi. Apparently, C-Sharp Coders have been dogging Delphi and dogging uh, Anders for writing it. And which I just don't see any evidence of. I don't know who this guy hangs out with. But uh, listen to this disclaimer. Those that follow my blog or know me personally also know that I don't go out of my way to be confrontational or disrespectful. I try my best to follow the middle path to see positive in all things, but sometimes you face a level of stupid that begs a response, a verbal one, and this is one of those cases. Lately, I see more Delphi developers getting into debates with C-sharp developers, and they are confronted with an attitude and belief system that, quite frankly, is utter nonsense. It's not based on history or facts, but disputes rooted in childish isms, a mix of old habits and unhealthy obsession with the notion that new means better. All right, I'm going to let you pick up and read it from there. 
uh, it's entertaining. Let's say that. And I, I don't think this worldview exists in mass. This guy may have found uh, some people that he talked to who were living in the past. I, I would say this blog post might be understandable in like 2004, but apparently yeah. it was written in 2016. So apparently. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little stunned. I'm not, I got nowhere to go. I okay. got nowhere to go either. Just go ahead and read it. It's a good laugh. And uh, I got nothing. <laughs> that's it. So who's talking to us today, Richard? Uh, you know, we're gonna, we haven't talked about Delphi on the show in 10 years. Right. Just laying it out there. And I'm excited to, to come back around to that because I've always been impressed with Delphi. No, we haven't. Uh, and- Delphi sucks. Okay. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Easy. Easy. <laughs> Deep breath. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Uh, Uh, But I did grab a comment off of show 977. Yes. Back when we did three-digit shows, you know. Wow. (laughs) And it's from May of 2014. Okay. When we talked to Francesco Bellina about Mm. VB6 to .NET migration. All right. Which is what's amazing to think about that, of course, is that VB6 uh, ostensibly stopped being developed in 1999. And so why 15 years after that did we do a show about VB6, to .NET migration? Right. And it was the the point uh, being that Francesco was still making a comfortable living in, in 2014 migrating old VB6 apps into .NET, and and his tool had gotten very, very good. Uh, And and we were bringing this up because, uh, at the time, because XP had stopped being supported by Microsoft, although that ended up being rescinded because the U.S. Navy depended on XP so heavily. Mm -hmm. They said, how much money do you want? Keep maintaining security patches for XP, which they still do to this day. And they said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out if you throw a large enough pile of money at any company, you know, that's going to work out. Yeah. And so there was a fair number of comments, people saying, hey, you can still compile a VB6 apps on the Windows 10. I'm like, yeah, it's just that there were lots of folks out there that were running at VB6 apps on XP and were afraid to move them for various mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. But that's not the comment I'm actually going to read here. Uh, this is one from Harold Short. And it's five years ago. So surprise, Harold, I read your comment. <laughs> he said, I worked on a very large suite of applications that were all written in VB6. They've been actively developed and enhanced since 1997. And he's, again, he's talking about five years ago. So in 2014, there was a team building VB6 apps still. Right. And keeping them maintained. Yep. So throwing them out or rewriting them, just never been an option. There is simply too much code to replace, and halting development for a couple of years to do that is a non-starter. We are successfully using the VB migration partner, and that's the tool that Francesco is making, to migrate these applications and many of the COM controls and libraries they depend on into .NET. While there have been various challenges along the way, nothing has come up that could not be worked around. We now have a functionally equivalent set of applications in .NET with no missing features. In fact, the applications in .NET we are now able to do add certain features that would have previously been impossible. Wow, cool. I will also add that the VB6 IDE is not as difficult to keep alive as you might think. While not as straightforward as installing on XP, we are able to install it and use it in production, both Windows 7 and Windows 8.1, because, of course, this is back in 2015 before Win 10 shipped. Right. uh, Or 2014. Along with all the COM components dependencies that go with the development environment, staying on the 32-bit version of Windows does keep this much simpler, although we've demonstrated it can be made to work on 64-bit versions as well. (laughs) Keeping in mind that VB6 and the Apps Creator are still running in a 30 in 32-bit mode, but mm. for debugging issues that only occur in these environments, it has been handy. 
We have no need to keep old XP VMs around to continue to deploy and develop our product. Wow. So we made the point very succinctly. It's like, no, no, you can keep doing that. And it is interesting to consider group of folks still out there building that. And that, I think, ties back to the blog post that you mentioned in Mm -hmm. 2016. Clearly some people out there building client-side apps in Delphi. And I would bet being stunningly productive, that is a refined tool that hasn't grown as much, you know, hasn't bloated as much as a lot of other software. I bet they sing on modern hardware and modern operating systems. It's like stinky fast. Sure. So, Harold, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via Facebook because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, you'll get a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet and shut up about Delphi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, that's not a line you've ever said before, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, you know, uh, our good friend Mark Miller comes from the world of Delphi. And I remember being very jealous of Delphi in uh, in the VB time frame because of the features that it had. And it compiled to real code and all that stuff. Yeah. But, Del- well, Delphi yeah. and Code Rush, the original version of Code Rush, written for Delphi, yeah. was... I mean, you've never seen stuff made faster. It right. was stunning how quickly he could build software. And, and Mark's a hell of a fast coder at the best of times, but this was just like level up stuff. And he, you know, that's where where Mark coined that term, coding at the speed of thought. Right. Well, let's bring Elias on, and maybe he's got some comments on this crazy blog post. But uh, Elias Purinen wants technology to work for humans. At age four, he got to use a Commodore 64 which started his journey to learn how to make computers do his bidding. As he used WPF and Silverlight to fund his computer science degree at the University of Waterloo, Elias discovered the field of human-computer interaction, HCI. And he's used the principles of HCI to make better apps for the users he serves ever since. He even named his company Northern HCI Solutions to reflect his commitment to great user experience, or whatever we're calling it this week. To combine his love of conferences, public speaking, and free hotel coffee, he created Tractus Event Passport, a suck-free conference experience app. It has powered conferences and symposiums across Canada. In his spare time, Elias teaches the University of Waterloo's Masters of Public Policy students how to write code. You can find his first book, Beyond Passwords, which launches October 15th at beyondpasswordsbook.com. That's like Five days from now, right? Yeah, very close. We're almost there. Beyond passwords. All right, first of all, what did you think of the blog post? Did you get to read any of it? Oh, my eyes glazed over after about (laughs) paragraph two. I'm not even, I don't even want to dive into that. That's a a special level of ranty. Yeah, And, and kind of just like not, I don't know, tilting at windmills maybe? I guess. I don't know. It's just, wow. It, it got me actually to go look up Delphi and sort of look at the state of affairs. And hey, mm-hmm. Embarcadero is still out there, owned by a different company now. It's owned by Adira. Mm-hmm. And uh, they still sell Delphi. So the Rad Studio is at version 10 now, uh, starting at a retail price of $2,200 uh, US. So, I mean, it's 
that's not an inexpensive tool. That's as as much, if not more, than than a full MSDN subscription for a year, anyway. Well, of course, it has to be expensive because the, their audience is very limited. I would say compared to the open source community. Yeah, I don't I don't know the answer to that, brother. But it is it is it just makes the point of the site is up, the e commerce is running. You can buy now. Like this is a product. You can definitely buy it and you can, you're absolutely right. You can still be productive in Delphi. In fact, I think looking at the latest version, you can actually build mobile apps using the modern version of Delphi. It's almost like they've got their own little ecosystem in the Delphi world. Hmm. It's nice to see. And Delphi is certainly a beautiful language. Well, I mean, yeah, talk about going back to school, right? Pascal's been around forever, ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and a great language in its own right. I always looked at Delphi as uh, a WinForms app, right? I mean, it was building client side apps in Windows. So how did they ever get to the web? Because that, to me, is what pushed people out of it. Was we needed to get to the web, and it just wasn't its strength. Yeah, I mean the the one project that we worked on that got us down this path of doing Delphi to .NET. When I was going through that app, it looked exactly like WinForms. It was incredible. And they and, and they compiled the regular executors like I got nothing bad to say about Delphi. It nope. was an amazing product at the time. I'm stunned it's still being sold. I'm just curious about like the market changed. Windows stopped being as dominant as it was. Mobile was important. Web was important. And it's just like how do you get there? You know, we talk about the strength of C sharp was, and I think it's one of the interesting things about C sharp is so many people use C sharp so many different ways. Yeah, you can build client side apps using WinForms and WPF. Yeah, you can build web apps with MVC and, and and so on. There's the micro framework running in smaller hardware. Like there's all these different flavors that .NET appeared in. And that didn't seem to be the thing that, that Delphi was about. You know, it just occurred to me that, you know, even though we all know this and everybody listening should know this by now, there may be a few people out there who don't, is that Delphi was written by Andrews Heilsberg, who wrote mm-hmm. Turbo Pascal, who basically designed C Sharp and modeled it after Delphi. Well, he modeled it after Java, really. Yes, they modeled it after Java. But the the way that, uh, uh, particularly in a, the way that events are handled, you know, with the, yeah. the basic two arguments of the sender and the arguments that, you know, can inherit from all sorts of um, base classes, that was a Delphi thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't argue with that. Mm. There's, without a doubt, .NET and C Sharp influenced by Delphi because it was influenced by Anders Halsberg. He didn't build the whole thing, right? Contrary to what some blog posts might say, <laughs> yeah, there was the 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 CLR project. The the runtime was already under construction before he joined Microsoft. So you know they he wasn't responsible for all of that, but he certainly had influence throughout it, and I would say positive influence. Like there are few people on this planet that understand what developers need better than Anders Halsberg. Any influence he has on any project makes it better. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at Pascal code and and Delphi code today, it feels like C-sharp light, which was part of the reason why some of our conversion projects go so smoothly. It's not a huge jump to go from from Delphi over to C-sharp land and over into Mm -hmm. .NET standard. And you're talking about .NET standard, not core? We're talking about .NET standard. So just to give a bit of background how I got onto this, if we want to go down that path. Absolutely. 
is I got approached by a uh, government organization that had this app that they'd written in the mid 90s. Person who had classic scenario, the person who had written this app long since had left the organization. Yeah. The core of this app ran air quality simulations. And the, hmm. the, the core of this library was just absolute pure magic. They're doing differential equations, crazy math, stuff that was a little bit above my pay grade. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit that. Uh-huh. I look at a differential equation, my eyes glaze over. But they wanted to take this and turn it into a web app for many reasons. They wanted to update their old database format. They wanted to have this app be translatable into both English and French. That should give away the government that I worked for. Uh Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Yeah, got it. We all know you're from Canada. Yeah, we're from Canada, eh? So they had this old app, totally unmaintained. They want, and it was written in Delphi and they wanted to turn it into a web app. And so they gave me a copy of the source code to look at under NDA. And I noticed that basically the way this thing had been written, the core gem of this thing, and I know you've had Kate Gregory on to talk about developers and and shops that have code running in C++ and they just want to keep it going and throw a, a modern wrapper around it. We were basically facing the same scenario, except in Delphi. And so we figured out that if we could carve out the Delphi library-specific stuff, like DB tables for doing access database lookups, and yeah, they were using access for this, and the their version of Windows Forms, if we could carve that out, then we would have a standalone library that we could build, you know, worst case scenario into some sort of a DLL or best case scenario, we could just port that code somehow over to .NET standard and then use that, consume that library in an ASP.NET core app, a web, right. a web API app, and then throw a nice JavaScript single page app over it. And, and how long, was this app still compilable? Did you have a working dev environment, uh, Delphi dev environment for it? No, in fact, some of the code was missing. Wow. So we were missing some, thankfully, we were missing parts that weren't too important. We were missing a few forms, but the core library code was still there. And enough of the code was there that we could basically step through and compare what the executable was doing versus where versus the where we were in the code, kind of like doing a weird kind of breakpoint scenario. And we were able to kind of reverse engineer and figure out what the code was doing that way. It was not in a buildable state, though. Yeah, and it's really interesting. So you have got the black box problem where you're literally just shoving inputs in and getting results out and trying to figure out how, what have you done here. Was there any stuff in Delphi that uh, you couldn't, couldn't find replacements for in uh, .NET Core? Funny enough, the stuff that we had to carve out, so the references to anything that had to do with DB tables, which yeah. by the time Delphi 2007 came out, DB tables had been deprecated and I think even removed from Delphi. So we were de- actually dealing with some components that when we first tried to port this to the newest versions of Delphi, 
the library itself wouldn't compile because it was relying on components that had been deprecated way earlier. Wow. But uh, when was when how long ago was this, Elias? Because you're I mean you're talking about very old versions of Delphi too. So this project was earlier this year, actually. Okay. So, so I'm saying absolute I'm modern time, times. Yeah, time frame was around January, February 2019. Man. It just it just shows like how sustainability of software. This thing that had been written in the 90s is still important enough that they're going to do what sounds like a complete forensics exercise to try and, and get it into shape. Plus, they want to update it. That's what compelled them to want to do this rebuild was because the initial scope of my contract was to take a look at the software and go, can we add new entries to this existing access database and have things not break? And then that turned into, you've got this app, it's in Delphi. It's been compiled against a ver against an ancient version of Delphi. I cannot guarantee how much longer that's going to continue to run on Windows. It, I mean, it probably will, but the, yeah, no certainty. Well, I mean, in modern versions of Windows, you're running into issues where it, if you're running on high DPI displays, it doesn't display properly. Right. There are scroll bars where there shouldn't be. So yeah. who knows what weird API calls it's making. Yeah, and and, you, and you've got and you've got all the Windows shims and things to try and keep things running. But yeah, I could imagine you'd end up running this app where it's like, no, no, you can't use a modern screen. That's the high DPI things are a remarkably tricky problem because it's just nothing that was considered before and it's really hard to work around. But Core three has uh, high DPI for uh, Windows Forms. Yeah, that would mean recompiling the app. Mm -hmm. Right, I'm just talking about if we've got an uncompilable app. Yeah, and you throw it on a high DPI screen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got. I problems. still have problems with that. So you've got an access database you can poke at directly. You've got a compiled app that was originally written in Delphi that you cannot recompile because you don't have a working dev environment, and you didn't run screaming out of the room. <laughs> I've written code for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Nothing scares me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> It is a good day to blow a register. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 128 bytes of RAM? Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> but you did have source, just not a compilable environment. I had source. And most importantly, I had the core library. I had the simulation engine, which is the bit I was the most concerned about. Right. Because so, if I, mean, I didn't have the I could, core I, simulation I, I'm, I'm thinking about me in that situation. If I have this, is like I could read this code and rewrite it by hand. If in the worst case scenario. Yes. And that was the worst case scenario we were bumping up against. Right. Because I thought my, my initial thinking kind of went like this most horrible, awful hacky version is we could throw some sort of crazy screen automation wrapper around the original app to keep that going. Like basically wow. just do, if we have a web API, just crazy hack. We throw away. Well, we, I, I, I get why you'd go there, right? To to do to basically operate the app in a bubble and create put an API around it, and you're literally filling in its form to get results yep. from it. Mm. That was that was the worst case scenario. And then from there, I thought, well, that's our absolute worst case scenario. That's not the worst thing in the world. The next 
best option would be if we could compile this code, if we can compile this library into a DLL, and then we could do some p-invoke or something crazy, and at least we could call into it from .NET somehow. Hmm. Yeah. Because it's written because you have the source code, the Pascal source code. We have enough of the. We have the source code to the core engine. So if we could basically carve out all the Delphi and platform specific stuff and compile that engine into a DLL that we could p-invoke into, at least we'd have something. Yeah. So you're not even you're not even trying for a regular year. You're you're willing to calm this thing if you have to. Yeah, we'll we'll calm the hell out of it if we have to. <laughs> We're gonna calm the shit out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so did you try and stay in Delphi? Well, that's where things got interesting because I have this tendency, and this is probably not the best business decision, but I'm curious intellectually, I suppose. And that when I'm faced with a challenge or something that I subscribe to the Mark Miller philosophy of don't tell me something's impossible. Yeah. Cause I'll just find a way around it. That's why we tell you it's impossible, man. We just want to see if you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fun for us. <laughs> yeah. Watch, <laughs> watch this. Yeah, watch this. Hey. Every great accident is followed it is preceded immediately by watch this. Uh, hold yeah. my beer. Yeah, hold yeah, my really. beer. Yeah. But I mean, I, I would think even if you went and got a modern version of Delphi, you're talking about a 20-year-old set of code. Like it probably wouldn't compile in Delphi today. Well, that was the trick, is I thought if we could get this to compile somehow, either to Delphi or to .NET, we'll we'll get somewhere. Progress. And then I remembered that back in 2004, 2005, there were versions of, of Delphi when it was owned by Code Gear. So this was after Delphi was sold by Borland over to Code Gear, that you could compile Delphi down to .NET. Wow. Now that's just crazy talk. And so at that point, I thought, I wonder if I could grab an old version of Delphi and compile this engine into some sort of a, a CLR library that I could call. So now at least we're dealing with managed code. Yeah, but a great, great possibility. There was this period where there were versions of Delphi that compiled against the CLR. If that, and it's probably old enough that the code you had, which was from the 90s, might actually compile into it. Hmm. Which would have been great if we could have actually got a version of that of of Delphi 2007 from the vendor, which they wouldn't sell us it. Now the vendor at this point is who Embarcadero. Exactly. Didn't anybody have an old version of Delphi kicking around on floppies? Oh, I tried. Yeah, I tried. Now, now what'll happen is I'll get a million tweets saying you should have gone here and right. I'll yeah, get a there's some old now, website but- somewhere. I mean, the other question is like maybe it was sitting on a pirate site somewhere, which is questionably legal. But you know, just to get your 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 running your your you get into a .NET form where you then could probably decompile it again into C sharp, right? And it's not like you'd be, you, it's not like you were going to buy a, a new copy of the new version anyway, right? This is a particular instance where you need an old copy. Yeah. But I can imagine Embarcadero simply crushed any version of the Code Gear editions once mm. they've got past it. Mm. Well, after 2007, basically what they found was the .NET 
compilation engine that they had was just not, it produced really buggy code. And so they dropped support for it very fast. Like it was a very short lived product. Yeah. Which speaks to this may not have worked out anyway. Right. Like, well, you, you, yeah, you got it. The compiler just doesn't run properly. So that's the thing is when you just, you just hit on the next idea I had, which was if I could get this down into managed code, maybe I could disassemble the library and use reflector or, or dot peak or just decompile shout out to all those vendors and take that what's in IL intermediate language and convert it over to C sharp and maybe it'll work. That's an awesome idea. And I'm going to stop you for just this moment for this very important message. Hey, what are you doing Monday, November 4th? Want to write a blazer app with me? Attend my Blazor app workshop online. In just one day, we'll write a complete server-side Blazor PWA app with Entity Framework Core, API controllers, components, SignalR, ASP.NET Core identity, and user management using Visual Studio 2019. So sign up online right now at blazor.appvnext.com. That's blazor.appvnext.com. And we're back. This is Donnet Rocks. There's Carl Franklin. I'm Richard Campbell. Yo. We're talking... Hey, and we're talking to Elias. I am totally enamored of this because how long have we talked about the idea that once you're in IL, you can decompile into any language, right? So that that you would take a code base originally written in Delphi in the '90s, use some kind of of Pascal compiler to compile it into IL, and then knowing, believing at least, because we don't really know it's true that you could then decompile it into C sharp. Right. So I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell me you did this because I'm going to freak yeah, out. Did it work? So around 1.30 in the morning, I found this crazy version of Pascal written by a professor at a university in Russia. It's called Pascal wow. ABC, and it is a learning tool, but here's the kicker. It compiles Pascal and Delphi code into .NET assemblies. Da 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 dun dun dun. <laughs> I love it. Wow! And the, it is still alive. I found the link. It is still alive and it still works. Holy borscht, Batman! Amazing. So this is the the code you had would compile in in Pascal ABC's compiler. N- no. <laughs> <laughs> This is where the next step comes in. And I call it F5 dirty word. <laughs> oh. Be- because you would hit F5 for it to compile, look at the error list that would come back, and then say a dirty word. Probably several, and you'd scream them at the sky. Very much James Kirk con style. No! And you had to pick them <laughs> off one by one, starting with the bottom, right? Some of them were fairly standard, like we were using a type that wasn't recognized or right. there was a, you know, there was some sort of, there was some sort of weirdness that was common amongst all the code. So it was mm-hmm. like, we could just do copy paste and, you know, copy, select, or we could do find and replace all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would take the number of errors from like 250 down to 70. Ah, that's a lot. Nice. Yeah. Pro- good. Right. Prop. Pareto's law result, right? Right. Get rid of the typing errors and and 80% of the stuff goes away. 
So continue to do that. And I'm just, I'm continuing to just get rid of all these compiler errors, hit F5, get rid of another one, hit F5, get rid of another one. And then finally hit F5 and like the magic result build succeeded zero errors. Oh my. You must have flipped. Wait a minute. So you started that process at 1.30 in the morning. So by now it's like five or six in the morning. Oh, there was no sleep. <laughs> but you did it in a sitting? Yeah, I did. I was just like, at this point, I was committed. Yeah. I was I, like, I, I was. I think everybody listening to this knows exactly the mental state you're in because you're on a path now. You know, yeah. this could be a series on Netflix. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> this it's is awesome. like full of suspense and intrigue. You got Russia in there. You got old <laughs> crappy Delphi compilers. <laughs> the possibility of pirating movie. Yeah, the possibility of pirating software to get a compile. Wow. So, what do you remember? What time it was in the morning when you got zero errors compiled? Oh, something like four or five in the morning. I just hit, I just spent a couple hours just trying to get this stupid thing to compile down. Now, keep in mind, I'm just trying to get the, this tool to give me an assembly at the other end. Right. Right. It doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. It it doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it works. Right. It doesn't mean the code is valid. Like I'm just trying to get this thing to zero errors. Right. Yeah. And get an assembly out the other end. Now with, with Delphi, apps do you still have that sort of code behind model or is there any kind of separation of you know view model or binding or anything like that i don't even remember yeah whoever wrote this app and i mean infinite credit to them they coded it in a really beautiful way because that core engine that core engine was perfectly separated it wasn't tied into the forms much oh, at great. all wow great so, so everything it was a that, very old, well-written piece of software. Everything the app did was in a separate module, let's say. Exactly. Wow. Beautiful. Exactly. It was it was domain-driven design before domain-driven design was domain-driven design. Very cool. So at this point, I've now got an assembly that I've compiled down. I crack, I take this into I forget which tool I used. I wanted I want to say it was dot peak. I can't remember exactly though. And take a look at it. And now that I've got this compiled into an assembly and it's in IL, I can basically say just give me the C sharp version of this IL. And so through right. a series of copy pastes, suddenly I've got a C sharp version of this library. Wow. Now the way that this Pascal ABC compiles down the code it it gives you some pascal type wrappers that do some sanity checks and try to make it as close to the pascal and and delphi implementations of those types as it can get so when i went to to try and compile those c sharp sources i still had some build errors to deal with so that that process of disassembling the assembly and getting that c sharp code doesn't always give you code that you can compile the first time. I still had to go through this F5 debug, F5, uh, F5 diagnose, F5 F-word. diagnose process. F5, F-word. <laughs> F5, yeah. F-word. F5, F-word, I love basically. That. That's got to be a new process we need to document. <laughs> F5, F, that's all. 
F you. <laughs> so at the end of all of this, I finally have all of the core engine modules in C sharp files. And after about another hour, hour and a bit of just doing F5, try to get this thing to compile down to a .NET standard class library, I get to that magical zero errors. Yeah, right. And the issues I'm now running into is that, I'll give you a perfect example. In the version of Delphi they were using, they were using fixed, very large, but fixed length arrays. Because whoever was writing this library didn't realize that there were, I believe there was, you could do variable length uh, lists, but they were just using arrays. So it was whoever had written this had written this based on however long ago they had learned Pascal. Mm -hmm. So there were some old, they were, and they were also using some deprecated data types. For example, uh, all through, because it was a scientific simulation engine, they were using real all over the place. Interesting. And real in Delphi could be a double or a single. <laughs> and that depends on whether your processor supports floating point operations and hardware. Hey, what could go uh, wrong with that? Because you I mean this is from the 90s, so they still had you the the math coprocessor was optional. Exactly. Now at this point in the 90s, we're talking like 1996, 1997, chances were you were running, your computer was most likely a 486 or higher, so you had an right. FPU. But it was, I mean, Windows 95 ran on three, ran on a 386 SX, and that didn't yeah. have to have a copro. Yeah, it's true. It didn't. Back when we thought about having the math functions as a coprocessor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I remember getting the coprocessor upgrade from my one laptop. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. So, uh, that was a feature back then that real would actually vary its style based on the compute that was available to it. But it, for you, it's got to be a nightmare. Well, it meant that we had to make a business decision mm -hmm. because now that the data type's changing, that changes the rounding behavior. Right. And depending on the more modern version of Pascal, I believe it sort of acts as a 48-bit precision, 48-bit floating point number. So it's, you know, that could, depending on how we're rounding, that could throw the results off. Now, the testing that we did, we found the results were off by like one one billionth or one ten billionth. Right. So not, and it was, the business decision came down to this is good enough. This is close yeah. enough. It's a simulation. Nine digits of precision, close enough. Exactly. But again, it came down to a business decision. Yeah, it you had to kick it upstairs. You don't decide that. No, exactly. No, that's very fair. And it is, this is a set of math functions, right? Like you are doing some regression analysis, then the math matters. You don't want to decide that. No, now, exactly. are you still working in Pascal at this point, or are you actually working in C Sharp? Now we've crossed over to C Sharp land. Right. So now I've got a library that's in a .NET standard project. And are you correct? Did you ever correct the Pascal to get a better compilation to read up into C Sharp? Or were the error correcting things going on happening in C Sharp? The error correctings were happening in C Sharp. Okay. My strategy was to get something into C Sharp 
because if I could get a test harness around that, I could validate to make sure A, that it's producing any result right. and B, how close is it to this original engine? Yeah. So now you can start building a test harness where you're plugging in a set of values into the original system, getting a result set, then running the same values on your new C sharp system and comparing them. Exactly. Hmm. And you always presume you're wrong. Oh, exactly. It was just, let's throw some massive tests at this thing and see where we can break this library. Awesome. All right. How long did this take? Because I got to yeah. think of all of the variations. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually didn't take quite as long as you would think. The nice part was the client had a lot of different test cases. Oh, nice. That shipped and it shipped with basically this software. You could set up a whole set of simulations and then and then run them and then not only run them, but export them down to CSV files. Mm -hmm. So the nice part was, OK, I've got this piece of software that can give me CSV files, which means that if, as long as I can read the same simulation data out from the existing database, I can set up the simulation engine the same way that the old app should be running it and hypothetically do an export and compare the two files and see if they match. And so I took the simulations that shipped with this engine, wired up a real quick test harness to basically wire up the uh, engine simulating about as close as possible as like if I were to, if the engine were hooked up to a UI and then did exports and compared the results and it ended up, and I mean, this, this was after a full night of sleep. Yeah. Right. Good. Once you got, the, once you got to zero, you should go to bed. Like you've already had, you've had your massive whim, right? Like, right. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I went, I went to bed at that point, but like, as soon as I got up the next day, it was okay. Now we got to throw a test harness around this thing and see what the hell's going on. Yeah. Now comes the work, yep. right? You first, you commit the miracle, then you get to do the work. Yes. Exactly. So at this, how was the performance point, like? Because I got to imagine that the the they were moving on to new hardware with the old Delphi app. The Delphi app was probably plenty fast. I got to you know how did how did C sharp do? Well, we had some pretty interesting results because the old app ran fast. And to give you an idea of how fast, there was the one test case that I used. It was a huge simulation. We were simulating uh, what was the effect of basically building a house and painting the house and putting in the floors and under padding and everything. And what was the release of the chemical contaminants into the air over a one-year period, hmm. simulating it at 0.1 hour intervals. Hmm. So six minutes. Yeah. So six minutes for 365 days. Wow. And the old app on my machine, which is uh, I, not an i7, I actually recently upgraded. It's a, uh, on, uh, I forget what, I forget what process I'm running now. How embarrassing. My nerd creds are shot. Yeah. It really uh, doesn't anyway, matter anymore, does it? No, it, re it really doesn't. I could just say it was in the cloud. There you go. It was just, but you know, we have more than enough compute. People stopped caring about processor models and things, and a lot of that stuff is just not that relevant. 
But given you ran you ran the Delphi app on the same machine as you ran the the, the .NET app, we should have a fairly reasonable comparison. Exactly. Yeah. So the original app ran this simulation in just under two minutes. Nice. Okay. That's plenty fast. And, and clearly faster than it was when they did it in the 90s because the hardware is so much faster. Exactly. Now, here's where .NET starts taking the advantage because the old version, we could not apply any optimizations to that. We're stuck with what they had shipped. Right. Sure. The new version, so no optimizations. This is just getting it to run in .NET standard. We're at 48 seconds. 48? 48 seconds. Wow. So under About a minute. Three times faster? Two and a bit, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's that's good. And it, there's plenty of reasons for that. You are running a 20-year newer compiler. Mm-hmm. No, he's talking on the same machine, right? Same machine, but you now compiling under C Sharp. I mean, that compiler's smarter. It's been 20 years and knows how to take advantage of the new CPU features right. better. Like. There's lots of wins there that you just didn't have access to with the old code. And so you turned on some optimizations, and then what happened? Well, the next optimization that I saw was I noticed when the simulations were running that each chemical was being simulated separately. So my mind immediately went to these are independent operations, which means we can run them in parallel. Parallel, yeah. Parallel dot for each later, we're down to 7.7 seconds. Oh my, <laughs> that's great. And I ended up writing a blog post about this. And it, the thesis of it was basically, can you expect to get like a 14 times speed up from just modernizing every last piece of your software? Probably not. No. But just even if you were able to get like 1.5 or two times what you're getting right now. Mm. Not to mention the maintenance cost of having your code in something in a format that you can now maintain. Yeah, well, getting to a compilable state is is the win right away because now you have a choice, things you can actually do. Yeah. So did they give uh, you a paid vacation after that? I imagine they would be like (laughs) bowing at your feet. I'm a con. I'm I'm a consultant. What's what's vacation? Yeah, there's what is this vacation you speak of, right? But I I'm, I, I, I I'm assuming the customer was very happy. Oh, they were thrilled. They were absolutely thrilled. And I mean, this thing goes live very soon. And it was like after after we were able to basically convert this thing into something that can be called by an API and put a nice JavaScript web app over it. Yeah. And get the same results that they were getting previously and and now be able to run simulations that they couldn't before. Right. Wow. Because keep in mind, 114 seconds to run that long of a simulation on the old hardware. And my computer's fast. Hmm. Yeah. And now we're down to 7.7 seconds. There's new stuff we can do. Yeah, without a doubt. You could take bigger chunks. You can do a lot of things. Like you have choices. Yeah. Fantastic. What a so, great story. Is that where the story ends or does it continue? That's where the story for that particular project ends. Oh, so you've done this with other Delphi projects? Well, what I've started to take a look at, not just with Delphi, but how can you actually take other languages and bring them into .NET and bring them into C Sharp? Mm-hmm. 
And my immediate thought was the good old language of Fortran. Oh. And it turns out that there are some companies that have the license to sell .NET Fortran compilers. Now, those compilers start around $1,000 or actually 1,000 British pounds, which is, I think, $5 right now, depending on the day. Didn't IBM have a version of Fortran on the studio marketplace? I think so. I don't remember specifically, though. But what I'm starting to look into now is, and this is more intellectual curiosity than anything else, Mm -hmm. is how can we start taking some of these, I don't want to say older languages, but I guess older languages. They are. Apps that are written in these older languages. How can we take those core pieces, like Kay Gregory said, and turn them into something that we can continue to run? So that companies don't have to spend so much money on not just keeping the developers around, which are getting fewer and farther between when it comes to, I think, Pascal and and Fortran people. They're becoming more expensive anyway, along with the company support. You know, who knows how long the company that makes uh, Delphi is going to be around. Now, I'm remembering back to the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, when .NET was coming out, even before. And the one of the main selling points was that Visual Studio could support like 20 different languages. There were so many languages, a lot of academic languages, um, but, you know, COBOL was in there, Fortran, as you said. And I don't know as if those languages are still supported in the current version of Visual Studio, but even if they're not... You could crack open a box of an early Visual Studio and try to at least get something compiled to IL if you have something in one of those languages that was supported early on. Well, as long as you've got the compiler as some sort of compiler that can give you IL, at least you've got a shot at getting it into C Sharp. Yeah. Yeah, I found uh, Fortran in the Studio Marketplace run by Intel uh, we'll work on the Studio 2015 edition. Hmm. Is what's officially supported. Uh, the retail commercial license for it's 1,900 bucks, mm-hmm. but they do have a free trial, so you could spin up the trial, get your compilation done, and stop there. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's possibilities could. here. Interesting. But they, this idea of you know using the IAL transit to get you to other languages, you get you into C sharp from other languages, very interesting. And it, and it's you know I I feel like we're sort of in unprecedented territory. I, I did an interview a while ago where someone was talking about you know missing vi- the old Visual Basic. I'm like you know the lifespan of Visual Basic was eight years, 1991 to 1999. You know here we are with .NET at 17 years and completely transformed, no you know end date. So we're now talking about software getting so old that uh, that it, ne- it needs to be reconstituted, that we have to consider these sort of migration paths. Now, I'm fascinated. This is a great problem, and, and, uh, and I'm appreciating, I really enjoyed your story, Elias, just appreciating that th- this may just keep happening. This may become normal for a while. Yeah, for sure. I part of this, my thinking about the software maintainability comes from a conversation I had with my girlfriend. She's a civil engineer. So when she talks about a short project, she's talking like 
it'll be done in five years. Right. You know, it's like some of her engineering projects, especially around infrastructure, can be multiple decades. Hmm. And so when we get into conversations about how long our projects are, it's we are constantly recalibrating because, you know, for for a consultant to have, say, maybe an eight or 12 week project and then you leave, it's like that's normal operating procedure. Sometimes that's unheard of in the civil engineering world. And it, you know, the amount of documentation and the amount of continuity planning that the civil engineers do to make sure that these projects like roads and bridges can be supported for decades, potentially centuries, like a lot of work goes into that. Mm -hmm. And when you think about how long we've actually had professional software development, it really hasn't been that long. Has it? Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, it depends on the flavor you're talking about, right? It's decades, but not centuries. Sure. I mean, I kind of look at myself, you know, I'm 31. So I like when I was in high school, .NET 1.1 came out. And that's what really got me started into programming seriously. And through this time that I've been through my career, I've worked on some projects where the original developer is either retired or dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I'm noticing on almost all the projects I've been on that are like that, there was no plan in place. What happens if this guy leaves? Right. And the solution ends up being a giant rebuild. Yeah. And the blind rebuild, right? A black box rebuild, which is the hardest and most expensive way to go about it, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's run, run, runnable code versus compilable code versus, you know, what what have you got? What can you actually do? And, you know, thinking back on your story, it's like, thank goodness whoever did write that was as diligent as they were, that you were able to get that test harness working around that old code and be able to walk through the simulations, the, the different test cases, and prove your new model worked. Yeah, no, it was, we, I have a debt of gratitude to whoever wrote that original code. If they're still out there. Yeah, I'd love to meet that person, podcast, huh? <laughs> if, if, they're, if they're still out there and they're listening to this podcast, you know, there's a beer on me. Right. Yeah, no kidding. Great, fascinating stuff. Well, what's next for you, my friend? I mean, you want to plug your podcast a little bit? I was a guest on it recently. Yeah, you and I got to talk about keto and blazer, and we just went all over the place. I was I was way too hopped up on caffeine. It was it was crazy. It was a great time. It's my podcast is called Let's Solve the Universe. I was originally going to call it Elias Solves the Universe, but that sounded way too egotistical for my own good. <laughs> and that's at lstupodcast.com. And the next thing for me is, I mean, continuing on some of these crazy projects. I mean, I've got some awesome events with my company's app, Track This Event Passport, coming up. And I've also got the launch of my cybersecurity book called Beyond Passwords, Secure Your Business, which, Richard, I can really... Oh boy, now that I've written a book, I really appreciate the whole process that goes into it. Oh yeah, it's way worse than you think, right? Now, I, I've, I have to agree with the basic sentiment. Nobody likes writing a book. They like having written a book. Yep. 
Oh, totally. It's awesome to have written it, but the process is definitely, it, it makes you think about the problem in ways you'd never thought about it before. Yeah. And yep, although definitely. I'm really looking forward to your history of .NET, I, I, <laughs> Me I too. can't wait to read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. What a great story. And uh, congratulations. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. It's, I've been, again, you, I discovered .NET Rocks from another podcast that starts with M and ends in undays. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, uh, and from there, my life was transformed. It was one of the pivotal moments of my career. So I owe you guys a lot. Thank you. Oh, you're oh. welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being awesome. All right. We'll see you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...